Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to New Books in Islamic Studies, a podcast channel on New Books Network. I'm your host, Ahmed Al-Mazmi, a PhD candidate at Princeton University. Today, we are here to talk to Dr. Liana Saif, who is a historian focused on Islamic, esotericism, and the occult sciences in the medieval period from the 8th to the 13th century. She has co-edited the highly anticipated volume, Islamicate Occult Sciences, Theory and Practice, with uh, Francisca Leone, Farouk Yahya, and Matthew Melvin Koshki, published by Brill in 2020, and now also in paperback. Dr. Liana Saif pays special attention to intercultural exchanges of esoteric and occult ideas between the Islamicate and Latinate worlds all the way to the European Renaissance, as reflected in her first monograph, The Arabic Influences on Early Modern Occult Philosophy, published by Palgrave Macmillan in 2015. She explores there the Islamic scientific and natural philosophical foundations of the theories of astral influences that naturalized between quotes, astrology and astral magic, becoming sciences that explore the dynamics that link the terrestrial and celestial worlds, thus co-producing knowledge about nature and the cosmos and resulting in a universe more uh, intelligible to both Muslim scientists and philosophers and their European counterparts. Today's book, Islamic Occult Sciences and Theory and Practice, brings together the latest research on Islamic occult sciences from a variety of uh, disciplinary perspectives, namely intellectual history, manuscript studies, but also material culture. It aims its aim is not only to showcase the range of pioneering work that is currently being done in these areas, but also to provide a model for closer interaction amongst the disciplines constituting this uh, burgeoning field of study. Furthermore, the book provides the rare opportunity to bridge the gap on an institutional level by bringing the academic and uh, curatorial sphere into dialogue together. Welcome Dr. Liana Saif to your books in Islamic studies and thanks so much for taking the time to talk about the book. Uh, Thank you so much uh, Ahmed for inviting me to talk about this book and um, I hope that I will be able to represent it uh, as well and and, and make my co-editors happy. Thank you for joining the podcast. We would like first to learn about you so can you please uh, please start us off by saying a few words about yourself, that is where you grew up, where you went to school, how you became interested in your field of study, and if you would like to mention any influential mentors you would like to mention. Sure. So um, I got my bachelor degrees at the University of Jordan in Amman, um, and it is in English literature and languages. Uh, so far away from <laughs> the world of history of science or, or philosophy or intellectual history. Um, um, but also um, it was very uh, important in introducing me or allowing me a chance to study deeper, for example, the Renaissance, um, uh, which I, I was interested in Renaissance literature and Renaissance theater during that time. But of um, deep influence on me, uh, during my studies at the University of Jordan was Professor Sahban Khlifat, rahimahullah. And he used to be the professor of philosophy and he instructed, he gave a, gave me class on philosophy and I took a course with him on logic. And uh, he was a very demanding character, but someone who really encouraged interdisciplinarity um, and kind of, opened my eyes to the rich way in which philosophy can even inform thinking and reading 
thinking about and reading literature. Uh, so he, he, I would say he was a huge influence during that time. And then um, after I finished my BA, I went to London to uh, get an MA in Renaissance studies this time at Birkbeck College, University of London. And it's a interdisciplinary MA program. Uh, so you have classes on art history, you have classes on, on, on Shakespeare, etc. But also there was this uh, one class that I took uh, called Magic Science and Religion and Religious Belief. And it was taught by Dr. Peter Forshaw who became my MA supervisor and who is also now my colleague at the University of Amsterdam Center for the Study of Hermetic Philosophy, which is um, a very cool uh, twist of fate, I, I would say. So he was, he was in that class, he was very encouraging of uh, thinking about the material through uh, the Arabic sources, uh, and I was very excited and enthusiastic about the perspective I could offer the study of early modern occult philosophy because that class centered more in, on obviously Renaissance period, so early modern occult philosophy. And yeah, he was very enthusiastic about what I can offer from from the perspective of the of the of the Arabic sources. And uh, so. Um, this basically became the subject of my PhD, which I continued at Birkbeck, uh, but with supervision from Professor Charles Burnett at the Warburg Institute. And um, that, uh, that team of supervision, including Professor Charles Burnett, uh, who was, you know, um, the, the superstar, um, <laughs> in the study of magic in the medieval period. So I've, uh, he became like a mentor for me and I remain very grateful to Professor Burnett for his continuous support and real investment in my academic success. Um, yeah, he was, he's, he's so generous with his research and discovery and he still instills in me kind of a deep appreciation of comparative philo philology, especially in Latin and Arabic. And so the thesis uh, ultimately led to my book and the book was the Arabic influences on early modern occult philosophy. So um, yeah, and after my PhD, I spent some time uh, working on the monograph. And then as you said, it got published in 2015 after the PhD, I worked uh, at the British Museum as the curator of the Hajj Legacy Project, uh, working with Venetia Porter, who, who is the curator of the, of the, uh, the, the curator of the Islamic collection. And she played a huge role in the development of my knowledge of material culture side of things when it comes to the occult sciences, having authored herself a catalog of the British Museum's uh, seals and talismans. So um, that became really influential uh, on, on, on even the vision that we had for the, the book Islamic and Occult Sciences of the urgency to start talking together. Um, and so uh, 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 after that, I was very lucky to also be mentored by um, uh, Professor Emily Savage-Smith. Uh, um, she supported my uh, British Academy postdoctoral fellowship application at Oxford St. Cross. And, uh, and I ended up succeeding in obtaining uh, the fellowship for a project on magic and medieval Islam. So um, I was very lucky to encounter uh, uh, very generous and um, very influential mentors, really. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, let's now turn to the book and its chapters. Uh, the book is divided into 14 chapters uh, in two parts. The first part is Occult Theories, Inception and Reception. 
And the second part is Occult Technologies from Instruction to Action. But first, can you share with us how did this volume come about? What motivated your interest in this particular project? Sure. Um, I think it's a number of circumstances basically came together that um, made the idea viable, but it started more thinking, uh, it, it was one of the suggested outcomes to, um, uh, no, let me, let me, let me repeat that. So yeah, at the beginning, it was a conference. So the book is uh, a, 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 the edited volume that followed a conference that um, was co-organized with Francesca Leone in Oxford at the Bodleian Library. So, and there were several circumstances basically that led to uh, uh, to the conference and 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 made it viable and and even necessary. So um, after my stint at the British Museum, as I said to you, I became more interested in the relationship between the intellectual history of the occult sciences and the material culture evidence. And this led to meeting Dr. Francesca Leone, who is the art historian curator of Islamic art at the Ashmolean Museum. And at that time, I joined the advisory board of her Leverhulme-supported, um, highly acclaimed exhibition, uh, Power and Protection, Islamic Art and the Supernatural, which opened in October 2016. Uh, Francesca was working before that, Francesca was working on her Louverhome application. At the same time, I was working on my British Academy postdoctoral fellowship. So early on, we were both keen on bridging the gap between the conversation on the occult sciences from the art material culture world and the intellectual history. And it is in this context that I met Dr. Farouk Yahya, who is the author of Magic and Divination in Malay illustrated manuscripts. Um, and uh, he continues to produce cutting edge research on the occult sciences in Southeast Asia. And he was working at Oxford at that time. So that's one um, set of circumstances. But also there's another set of circumstances where, um, you know, by the time of the exhibition, uh, Francesca exhibition, a group of PhDs and early career scholars researching Islamic and occult sciences were starting to coalesce uh, and they were tackling themes that were very complementary to one another, such as uh, there was me, but there is also Matthew Melvin Kushki, who works on the early modern letters context. There was Noah Gardner, who worked on the Mamluk context with a focus on letterism and Ahmed Albuni, Jean-Charles Coulomb, who was working on magic in the medieval context as well. And he looked at their culmination in the works of Albuni as well. Um, uh, so like the scholarship of this group uh, was also encapsulated in a special volume in Arabica that was edited by uh, Melvin Kushki and Gardner and that entitled Islamic Occultism New Perspectives. And that was an outcome of a conference in Princeton that was organized by Melvin Kushki. So, um, so, so PhDs that time also played a huge role. Uh, someone like Michael Sebastian Noble, who's doing his research uh, at um, the Warburg Institute. And uh, he recently published a monograph entitled uh, uh, Philosophizing the Occult. There was also Bink Hallam, who was doing research on Arabic translations of Greek alchemical uh, literature. Um, and, 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 and he also worked at the British Library. So, and, and, and in his capacity as Arabic scientific manuscripts curator. So you can see from different um, parts of academia, but even the cultural center, there were people um, working and 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 coming together, so it made sense at that time to um, uh, to collaborate, and that's when um, you know Melvin Kushki joined joined the team, 
And uh, at the same time, uh, to give you an idea about how vibrant that uh, moment was, at the same time in the Université Catholique de Levin, uh, a research group funded by consecutive ERC grants obtained by Professor Godfrey de Calatay, uh, focusing on alchemy and the occult sciences, uh, on the writings of the Juan de Safa and others, was to, you know that was happening, and I was lucky to be part of these projects once as a postdoc researching Ikhwan al-Safa and another time for research on the magic of Jabir ibn Hayyan. And, you know, uh, a major uh, player of this group is my colleague and friend, Sebastian Moreau, who works on Islamic alchemy and magic and astrology in on, on, on a range of texts such as Ghayat al-Hakim and, and Ikhwan al-Safa. So it made a lot of sense to bring all of that together in a conference, and then that conference uh, led to the volume. That's great to hear about how the institutional and the collegial networks intersected to produce uh, such a fabulous volume. Uh, looking at the title, Islamic Occult Sciences, we have two buzzwords. Uh, <laughs> Maybe some of our listeners wouldn't actually understand uh, what do they mean. So can you please elaborate on the significance of the term Islamicate in relation to occult sciences and vice versa? In other words, how does this concept help us understand the interconnectedness of uh, Islamic and non-Islamic influences on occult practices within Muslim-majority societies, but also the Muslims' influences on the development of the so-called occult sciences? Yeah, um, Islamicate. Um, in general, I tend to use it to allow for occult scientific texts and ideas that have not been developed by Muslims but are produced in dominantly Islamic culture. You know, texts that I study, such as the Suda Aristotelian and Hermetica, for example, I feel um, fit well within that category. I also use it, um, you know, to talk about ideas that have come part and parcel of occult scientific thinking that's been elaborated by Muslim. And these could be Greek, Jewish, Zoroastrian, Christian elements, etc. cetera. Uh, however, um, I am aware of the pitfalls of, of, of this type of use. But um, in Travis Zada's brilliant postscript of the volume, this issue is, is addressed. And, and this simplification that I just shared is nuanced much more in, in, in Travis's postscript, uh, where he stresses that one of the unintended consequences in this approach uh, to account for all kinds of cultural complexity complexities is to associate the Islamic with orthodoxy and Islamicate with the heterodox. So uh, here Sufism, the occult sciences and esotericism uh, become part of a thing that does not fit with Islam, therefore cannot be Islamic and can only be um, uh, uh, marginal or, or, or non-normative, when in fact the volume emphasizes the normativity of the um, the occult sciences, really in Islamic cultures. I see. Can we delve deeper into this to address the question of legitimacy and authority within the realm of Islamic occult sciences? What factors determine the acceptance or, or rejection of certain practices or beliefs within Muslim communities? Um. This is this is this is a very good question, um, but um, I would say that one of the aspects that I wished was more present in the volume is a comprehensive study on uh, it, it, the the theological debates on the permissibility of the occult sciences. And what is interesting, really, actually, is that a lot of us in this field worked so hard to like, quote unquote, legitimize the study of the occult sciences and kind of like take it away from the shadow of legitimacy and superstition so that, you know, we are able to place them in, in, in the right place in Islamic history. 
um, and Islamic sciences and philosophy and cosmology, um, in etc. Which 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 you can say at least for me, kind of pushed me away from uh, talking about uh, the question of of legitimacy from a theological uh, perspective. So so what we ended up focusing on with the type of legitimacy that we started focusing on is the legitimacies of narratives about the occult sciences and about the development of the occult sciences so um you know the you know uh, and this was discussed in relation to how the occult sciences were presented through orientalist methodologies or uh, we started addressing post-enlightenment denigrations of the study of the occult and, and, and what is the better methodologies for understanding them beyond um, associating them with the superstitious, the irrational, or, or, or something that is um, irrelevant. Um, in relation to Greek authorities as well, um, the occult sciences, um, a lot of the time, uh, found their legitimization uh, through referring to Greek authorities. And, and so one of the ways that uh, we needed to look at the occult sciences through is um, how do we reevaluate the way Greekness and Greek knowledge um, is, is, is incorporated into the occult sciences. I'm really sorry, Ahmed, but there's a lot of noise outside. Yes, so if we move on from uh, theology to think about other ways of addressing legitimacy and authority, perhaps from within the Islamic, you know, occult sciences as well, how would you think about these questions? Um, I mean, the 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 occult sciences and occult practices are ubiquitous in 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 Islamic and non-Islamic cultures. And so there were different groups who were claiming to have real understanding of how these things works. And you know, this is a simplification, of course, but in at least the period that I study, um, which is uh, approximately 8th to the 13th century, it seems to be um, natural philosophers and uh, Sufis at, at, a, at a later point. So natural philosophers were uh, basically looking at epistemologic, it's, 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 yeah, it's epistemological strategies uh, to understand uh, occult sciences and the phenomena that these uh, sciences address through nature, uh, through cosmology. Um, and so Greek authorities were of uh, deep importance to them. Um, and, and so Aristotle, uh, for example, would provide a kind of uh, a hylomorphism that you can explain with uh, the efficacy of the talisman as body form, um, and 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 the stars are the efficient agents in some cases, like we see in uh, Rayat al-Hakim, the 10th century famous uh, magic text. Um, and so, you know, th that was that was how natural philosophers uh, thought about it. But also, um, at the same time there were the uh, more esoteric communities that were thinking about occult uh, sciences and occult practices as the privilege of uh, a spiritual elite, for example. And, and we can think about uh, the way that the science of letters developed among the Sufi milieu and you know the, 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 the science of the letters draws from a, diff a, a different cosmological model uh, where the letters and divine names become uh, the main principles of, of, of creation and all of created thing, kind of like the essences. And I'm here reducing it as well a little bit. 
but also, you know, that intersected with a Neoplatonic framework. So you cannot really say that the divide between natural philosophy and, and Sufi discourse on the occult is, is very clear. Uh, but um, yeah, this, these, these, at least in the, in the period that I study, those were the authorities, those were the groups that were uh, thinking about the occult sciences theoretically and in terms of legitimate cosmological framework um, 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 uh, to, 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 to understanding the occult sciences. But I do think, however, that it is still a worthwhile question about the uh, uh, the construction of uh, theological legitimacy of the Islamic occult sciences. Um, one of the aspects that I do wish uh, was more presented is the volume in the volume is is indeed looking at the theological debates on the permissibility and legitimacy of the occult sciences. Um, but I guess because a lot of us wanted to move away from studying the occult sciences as a problem or as uh, something illegitimate or something superstitious, we kind of like <laughs> haven't, uh, uh, or at least I haven't tackled this issue systematically. Uh, I think either, but that is very important in talking about how uh, legitimacy uh, and discourses of legitimacy um, uh, of the occult sciences developed and trends and, and their diversity as well. Right. And thinking about these discourses, um, one of the critiques to intellectual history at large, not just the field of Islamic studies or the occult sciences is that it can be sometimes disembodied from context. So what are some of the main historical and con cultural contexts in which Islamic occult sciences emerged and developed? You've mentioned the work of Farouk Yahya in Southeast Asia. Uh, perhaps there are other contexts you would like to mention from the volume. And how did these contexts shape our understanding of the theories and practices involved? Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, when it comes to the Islamic et occult sciences, there is we're still trying to um, find out more about these cultural contexts, and and it's still an ongoing project, and it's one of the most exciting aspects of the of the study that is now uh, blooming so much. Um, so, um, historically speaking, I mean. The 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 the, the pre-Islamic traditions uh, uh, were an important uh, context, historical and cultural context. You know, the Arabian Peninsula uh, before the advent of Islam had uh, uh, a rich array of pre-existing beliefs and practices, um, including various forms of polytheistic. You know religions that had, or traditions that had their own um, uh, occult practices. Uh, for example, div divination in particular was important. Um, uh, so, um, you know, the, the Arabs were noted in many early sources uh, as being experts par excellence in the arts of, of divination, like ayafa, qiyafa, Zajr, Tira, um, etc. So, um, and 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 even in the San Al Arab, the philologist Ibn Manzur he mentions that um, uh, the Arabs were very knowledgeable diviners, and he mentions famous diviners like Sheikh uh, Bin Sateh. Um, so that's a context that is worth diving, I think, deep into. Uh, of course, in in the early Islamic intellectual milieu, um, there's a diverse range of intellectual currents that thrived at that time, whether it was drawing from Greek philosophy, Persian thought, and Indian and Chinese influences. You know, at that time, the translation movement aimed to translate and preserve and comment and develop um, ancient Greek knowledge uh, and, and and translate them in, into Arabic. And that brought a wealth of esoteric knowledge into the Islamic world as well. Um, 
so uh, we can also uh, talk about the Sufi context, right? So as I mentioned earlier, Sufism proposed a view of the cosmos uh, where letters and divine names become uh, the building blocks of, of, of creation and they constitute the formulae, if you will, for interacting with natural, celestial and divine um, realities. And um, so that, that context is, is super influential. Uh, but you can even say that, you know, even the Sufi letterist context emerged from a wider Mediterranean context where, um, uh, and, and Mediterranean traditions of alphanumeric cosmological speculation that include the Kabbalah, the Jabberian science of balance, Elm and Mizan, and of course the science of letters and 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 divine names. So um yeah that that becomes very important. Of course the Persianate and Central Asian uh, uh influences are important and the contexts are important whether it was you know the observatories such as the Maraga observatory uh, or the Samarkand observatory um and and you know, if we add the Zij literature and the depth to Indian astronomy, uh, that is uh, uh, quite an important aspect of it. The Persianate and Ottoman political and, and, and military context also is an important um, cultural context where uh, the occult sciences were basically uh, mobilized politically and and explicitly, and this is studied by uh, Matthew Melvin Koshki, Mariam Ikhtiar, and Maria Sabtelni in this in this volume. Um, I think another context that is not represented in the volume, but is important to think about, is uh, the Byzantine context. I think that our knowledge of Islamic and occult sciences would benefit much more from studies on the Byzantine occult sciences and their connection to the Islamic ones. And here I'm thinking of the works of Maria Mavrudi, who has led the conversation basically about Byzantine occult sciences. And she edited a volume with Paul Magdaleno um, entitled The Occult Sciences in Byzantine. So um, yeah, there's there's so much more that, that, that can be said, um, um, I think we also would have benefited if we had more explanation of the South Asian context, which is not uh, well represented in the volume and also the, the African context as well. So um, yeah, all of these are, are, are very important in thinking about how Muslims and how Islamic cultures um, thought about the the occult sciences. All right, thank you for mentioning that, and we will be talking more about the future agenda for research, I guess. But mm -hmm. more about what's in the fourteen chapters. Can you pro provide us with an overview of the key themes and concepts explored in the chapters of Islamic occult sciences? How does it contribute to the existing scholarship on this topic that preceded this volume? In what ways uh, does it does the book challenge or expand upon? existing narrative or assumptions about Islamic occult sciences? What new perspectives or interpretation do these chapters offer? Sure. So um, as, I, uh, as you mentioned earlier, the main idea of the book was to combine the perspectives of intellectual history, manuscript studies, and material culture. So one part of the book is dedicated to historical studies and the second part is dedicated to material culture. And um, there's different concerns in these parts represented by different um, uh, 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 chapters. For example, there is concern with the epistemology of magic. And so uh, Charles Burnett's discussion of the tripartite division of magic into talismans, neurons, and alchemy uh, aims to show that magic in particular is conceived as the ultimate practice of wisdom. You have also the chapter by Michael Noble and his discussion of Fakhreddin al-Razi and, and his philosophizing 
of magic and its function as what he brilliantly calls soteriological angelomorphosis. <laughs> I hope I said that correctly. But also you have another contribution by Noah Gardner in his discussion of Abdurrahman al-Bistami's and his cosmological letters, uh, discourse and, and, and universalism. So, um, and, and these come from, from, from different, different perspectives, but they're all dealing with the epistem with yeah the epistemology of the occult sciences, but also some texts offer new understandings of new works or or new readings of new works or new manuscripts, um, and uh, that's for example my contribution on the Ikhwan Safa fifty second epistle looking at uh, magic in light of uh, uh, a wide range of manuscripts. Um, uh, to this also uh, belongs uh, Maria Satelny's contribution, which uh, analyzes um, Kamal al-Din al-Kashifi's Asrar al-Qasimi, which is a Timurid manual that presents the occult sciences. So um, uh, she offers uh, a new reading to this text, showing basically how it transcends conventional notions of a confessionalism and a strict Sunni Shi divide. Uh, you also um, have contributions that deal with the history of specific practices. Um, and here I'm thinking of Bill Bink Hallam's contribution on the magic squares, which is the most up-to-date and exhaustive, I think, history of magic squares in the Islamic context. The second part is called occult technologies from instruction to action. And, and, and we sought with this one to soften the bifurcation between intellectual history and material culture by combining discussion of manuals and discussion of practices and their material outcomes together. So in the same, in this, in this second part on occult technologies, we have, for example, the contribution by Jean-Charles Coulomb, who writes about Kitab al-Sharasim al-Hindiya, uh, which he basically rescued from scholarly obscurity. And it is a kind of manual of practice. So um, it contains scripts. It's, it's, it describes the occult technologies. So it felt that that is uh, a good place for such an article to be placed in order to soften that uh, bifurcation between intellectual history and material culture. Also, uh, Matthew Melvin Kushki's chapter uh, entitled Letters Call for the Conquest of Cairo and the Development of Ottoman Occult Scientific Imperialism, looking at the work particularly of Kemal Pashzada. Um, uh, this looks at the as letterism as occult technology that is mobilized in 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 Ottoman imperialism and the conquest of Cairo, as the title and the text elaborates on. So, uh, uh, so in, in this way, these texts are uh, placed within. Uh, the part on occult technologies. Uh, these are followed by articles on objects and on artifacts. For example, Mariam Ikhtiar and Rachel Parikh take this, uh, the idea that Matthew Melvin Kushki presented and, 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 and embody it in, discuss in discussing talismans in the battlefield. Uh, which is really their follow-up on an exhibition at the Met, uh, at the Met Metropolitan Museum in New York um, that is entitled, I think, Power and Piety, Islamic Talismans on the Battlefield. And, and I think it's a 2017 or 2016 exhibition. And then from, from this article, then Farouk Yahya takes us to, the South, to Southeast Asia and the calligrams of Ali that are pretty much, uh, you know, occult technological uh, uh, calligrams. And finally, Christian Gruber looks at amulets in, in, in modern Turkey. So um, it, 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 this part really is, uh, it, it, it really intervenes in 
um, putting together uh, texts that describe occult technologies and objects and artifacts that represent um, the occult sciences as, as technologies. That's great. Thank you for this synthesis and distilling uh, some of their contributions. And the book is over 700 pages, so I would ask the readers <laughs> to and enjoy each chapter on its own. And really, it's rich in details and facts and sources that someone can pick up on and expand on the existing scholarship. So in your chapter, you've mentioned that you've worked on uh, who are known as Brother of Purity or Ikhwan Safa, and uh, Scholars have noticed that the writings of the, on the occult are less studied as compared to their other writings. So in your own research, what sources did you uh, rely on to explore the theory and practice of Islamic occult sciences? And how did you navigate the challenges of accessing both as uh, physical access, but also as conceptual access and interpreting uh, these sources? Yeah, um... I mean, one of the most exciting things about the, the, the field of the study of Islamic occult sciences is that there's a wealth of manuscripts that are, are untouched, that await to be studied and understood and translated and, 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 and edited. And so the, the first challenge is really drawing the line on the kind of texts that um, a scholar wants to approach, knowing that there is much more yet to be tapped into that could even change the way we think about our own material. So um, <clears throat> looking at archives and looking at library catalogs um, is always uh, an exciting uh, place to, to, to start. Um, and, um, so yeah, at least for me, that's where I go first. Um, <clears throat> but also, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> I do, um, utilize biobibliographic sources, um, to, to understand the way that the occult sciences were, uh, positioned in, 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 in Islamic cultures but also in different levels of society. How, how were people constructing ideas about the, the occult or even like the history um, of, of the occult? How did people construct that from the point of view of, 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 of a medieval author, for example? So I think this, this always is helpful to contextualize, of course. So, yeah, but also the the, the, the real challenge is keeping up now because there is a huge amount of scholarship that is currently expanding our knowledge, um, whether it was by highlighting new texts that were discovered or new um, approaches to the occult sciences or simply a new geographical context explored that were ignored in 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 the past and even not represented in our volume for example the west african context and here i'm also thinking of the work of ariella marcus cells uh, uh and and olodemine Ogonaike, who are looking at esotericism and the occult sciences in in the west african context and so you know it's 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 an excellent time to be a scholar of the occult sciences, but yeah, you have to keep up uh, with 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 an explosion of amazing scholarship. Um, there's also um, real challenges, though, and these challenges basically, um, I think one one aspect is taking theoretical and methodological stances that are critical of past approaches. Um, also, it means also looking at the material to construct historical trends while, you know, at the same time being overwhelmed by the amount of manuscripts that, you know, would tell new stories and, 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 and change our approaches. So that's one challenge, but I think, um, the 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 bigger challenge is to establish 
within Islamic studies, the Islamic esotericism and the occult sciences as 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 central and 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 the challenge remains is really to push it even further the 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 true historical significance of Islamic conceptualization of the khafi or the gharib the hidden or the strange but also the batin so uh this 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 has to do with the way you know we 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 teach about islam and also how islamic studies uh, courses are constructed um <clears throat> and so um and 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 a, and, a, and a challenge that we must mention is the funding you know going to look at manuscripts and um travel to different places to begin to talk about uh, occult sciences in 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 different Islamic cultures globally, that requires funding. And so, as every academic knows, there isn't much of that to uh, help facilitate. So, um, you know, so this is a major challenge um, that we have to face. Right, uh, and this moves us from the past to the present. So what are some of the contemporary implications or applications of Islamic occult sciences discussed in the book? How do these practices continue to influence and shape various aspects of Muslim societies today? So, I mean, um, if we look at the way the occult sciences are practiced nowadays, I think to a large degree, it's less visible. <laughs> than even historical practices. So studying them is not easy. Studying contemporary practices are not easy uh, because of this aspect, um, because of the nature of like how they go a bit underground, the negative attitudes about occult knowledge. Um, and so uh, I think we need much, much more uh, research that tackles uh, contemporary practices and 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 current applications of the occult sciences, but you can say, generally speaking, that um, the kind of practices that do exist are less of the astral magic type, so less rayat al hakim, less um, not embedded necessarily in natural philosophical. Aristotelian, Neoplatonic foundations like we have in the early medieval period, but it's more letterist for sure. And so um, here we can talk about two contexts. For example, we can look at how letterists' uh, practices are incorporated within contemporary Sufi contexts, and that's definitely worth studying a little bit more. But they do manifest now in interesting way in less restricted communities. So I think of huge consequences to um, the formation of contemporary magical practices is the influence of the corpus attributed to uh, Ahmed al-Buni. And, you know, uh, uh, Ahmed al-Buni was himself, he himself, talks about the science of letters and develops it within very clear Sufi cosmological frameworks. But, you know, at some point, these 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 uh, practices, letters practices, as Noah Gardner argues in his works and his theses, get de-esotericized. So you can have a list of techniques and powerful correspondences uh, uh, lots of description of correspondences between days, hours, planets, stones, angels, jinn, letters, divine names, etc. And so um and 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 now you no longer need to be part of a Sufi community or some kind of elite. It the practices get a little bit more quote unquote uh, democratized there is less soul work as well. So they become more solitary practices. And, 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 and I'm talking still about the contemporary context. So like the de-esotericization of Albuni type of magic, which is letterist, 
is encapsulated, you know, in the very popular but <laughs> controversial grimoires penned in the 20th century by um, enigmatic characters like the Egyptian Al-Sayyid Al-Husseini Al-Falaki and also Abdel Fattah Al-Tukhi, also from, from Egypt. And they clearly um, basically created a whole uh, mode of practice that is solitary and user-friendly and simplifying a lot of the material that can get very complicated in, in a letterist context. But it's also, I think, worth mentioning that, you know, it, it, practices of the occult sciences in different Islamic contexts, in, in, it should be studied in the context of globalization and the impact of Western occult and esoteric currents on it, like spiritualism and, and the new age. And, and so we see that the, the language of magical agency is also changing when you read or you listen to people talking about magic even online or on social media. So people are talking, or some people are talking less about jinn and more about energies. Uh, and, and, and I find that really, really interesting. And uh, this is of course studied by uh, Ali Riza Dustar in his book on the Iranian metaphysicals in the context of of Iran, uh, specifically in the 1990s, if if I remember correctly. So more uh, research like this would be, I think, very illuminating and bridging a gap that we do have about studying the occult sciences in the contemporary context. Right, and I was also thinking about not just its practice, but also its representation and manifestation, let's say pop culture and novels and uh, cinematic production. Um, so the occult continues really to occupy the imagination of so many communities, uh, not just you know in the West, but also in the Islamic world. Of course, I mean, um, you 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 still see it in in you know occult horror films, right? Um, whether it was um, in, 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 in whether it was Egyptian occult horror films like Adali uh, Yantaqim, where there's a scene of uh, contacting uh, a spirit of the child who's like causing lots of havoc, um, and or even um, uh, the film Al Ins Wal Jin as well that features talismans and 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 occult practices. Um, you know, there's this, it's, it's, it, the, the jinn and, and still form a, an important uh, uh, aspect of, of Muslim culture, um, you know, stories about jinn, uh, folklore about jinn. So it is, it is part and parcel of, of the imagination for sure. Right. Um, moving from the present to the future, how do you envision the book contributing to future research and discussions on Islamic ethical sciences? And let me ask you this hypothetical question. If you had an open budget and was asked to organize a conference on the occult sciences, what would you like it to focus on? Okay, now that's 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 a good question. So like if I if if I have an open budget to to do to do this again, you mean? Um, I will definitely be more global, definitely be more global, um, you know, the South Asian and African context uh, need to be definitely represented better. Um, but also, I, I would have more contemporary uh, context represented as well, um, <clears throat> which is what we were talking about uh, earlier. Also, I think uh, uh, looking at the occult sciences through the lens of gender studies and critical race theories. Um, and here I'm also thinking about the work of Taylor Moore at the University of California, who works on the occult sciences in modern Egypt uh, from the perspective of critical race theories, gender and, and decolonial materiality. So, um definitely exciting 
things already already happening that I think would like to center in the conversation about the occult sciences, but also um, look at more alchemy and more divination. Um, the volume in our conference ended up uh, focusing more on magic uh, than than magic and astrology to even to to some degree, but alchemy and divination, I think need more representation, but especially divination. Um, um, we, we talk a bit about geomancy, uh, we, but a little bit about physiognomy, but I think much more can be done about divination. Um, also, I, I, from a very personal interest, I would love to talk more about the narratives of danger that surround occult sciences, for example, uh, you mentioned earlier in popular culture, the occult sciences um, is 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 very widespread, uh, and also in 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 there's entertaining aspect of the occult sciences that I would like to work on some more, and that's not just the texts themselves and how pretty they are and and how entertaining. The, the, the language can be and the description can be, but also those narratives of danger about texts like Al-Buni's Shams al-Ma'arif al-Kubra, you know, the ones I'm talking about, you know, like if you have a copy of it in your house, you're risking unleashing legions of jinn on your family, la samahallah, or these kind of narratives. I would really like to talk more about that. So, um, so that would involve um, uh, looking at more uh, Arabic uh, or culture, for example, and and beyond, uh, uh, as uh, or looking at um, circulation of manuscripts and 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 the underground of that circulation, I think would be a very interesting aspect to to include in a next conference for next eight hundred page volume. What it sounds like is that every discipline could have a contribution actually to the study of the occult sciences. And that really speaks about the richness and the endless possibilities uh, once you know you open this Pandora box, I guess. Um, well, we've taken a lot of your time and uh, traditionally we ask the authors to talk about their current and future projects if you would like to say something about that. And also the rumor habit that you're working on the Picatrice uh <laughs> so please update us on that as well sure so um yeah i'm i'm working on a lot of things but um i think the things that i'm focused on more right now is definitely working on the english translation of rayat al-hakim known in the latin world as the picatrix i am fully aware of how late I am in <laughs> producing a manuscript, but I hope to be excused by the fact that this was caused by uh, collating manuscripts. I have gathered uh, more manuscripts than the original edition of Helmut Ritter, and I thought it would be very important to collate as many manuscripts as possible. And so that ended up taking a lot of time and but but I have I have a manuscript that I need to edit and work on. So we, we're moving forward with that. Um, I'm also paying a lot of attention to um, um, a, a, a corpus that is now dear to my heart, and that is the Pseudo Aristotelian Hermetica, ninth century fascinating text that offer um, uh, uh, things like um, alternative cosmologies, alternative stories to Genesis even, and, and, and a story about the Demiurge and the, the divine origins of the occult sciences. And these are in Arabic. So I am, I'm, I'm looking at them closely and I hope to put together a project to study those. And also I'm working on the Jabirian corpus, but particularly looking at magic in the Jabrian corpus, uh, focusing on a text known as Kitab al-Nukhab, which is a completely understudied text, but very influential on texts like the Rayat al-Hakim. So um, yeah, th this is these are the main um, 
projects, research projects um, that I have. Yeah. We will be looking forward to them and hopefully having you again on the podcast to talk about it. Uh, and thank you for the listeners and to you uh, for listening to today's episode in which we explored Islamic ethical sciences and theory and practice published by Brill. This is your host, Ahmed Al-Mazmi. Stay tuned for the next episode of New Books in Islamic Studies.